Good morning. Welcome to those who are joining us in the Fellowship Hall and online this morning. This summer, we've been learning from the written wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs and the wisdom we see put into practice through Jesus' life and ministry. And so far, most of the wisdom we've been receiving is preventative wisdom, things that keep us from making costly mistakes. But preventative wisdom can only take us so far because what if you've already made those mistakes? I'm sure we've all been in that place where after making a mess of things, someone is right there to share with you their wisdom of how they managed to never make the terrible mistake you made. Thank you so very much for that. I'll just jump right into my time machine and go back and take your advice. (laughs) There is a time and a place for preventative wisdom. But when you're already in the pit, you need a very different kind of wisdom to apply. What you need then is to have a white hot fire of hope lit under your feet. Because at this point, discouragement becomes your worst enemy. And that's what this section of Proverbs is about. It's very practical advice for after you've gotten yourself stuck. And this advice is clearly coming from someone who's been there. Proverbs 6, 1 through 2 says... My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. Basically, you co-signed for someone else's loan, and you are now legally responsible for a debt that wasn't yours, but it is now. And your life can't move forward until their debt is paid. That's the kind of stuck this passage is talking about. But it could apply to any kind of situation where you have made mistakes that have gotten you stuck. So if that's where you are, the author of Proverbs goes on to say, So do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands, go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. What it's saying is... Once you realize you've made a mistake, that you've done things that have hurt yourself or your future or that of others, this is no time to wallow in self-pity or self-loathing. Spending your energy on complaining, this isn't fair, or beating yourself up, how could I have made that mistake, are both complete wastes of energy. Now is not the time to wallow, now is the time to floor it. Pedal to the metal, people. Make a plan and work the plan. Go, go, go until you see daylight, until you break free. Then you can fold your hands and rest. Then you can revisit how you managed to make that mistake and how you can avoid making it again. It's saying the moment you've recognized you've gotten yourself stuck, that's the time to do something about it. So if you feel stuck because you've gotten yourself in debt, make a plan of how you're going to work your way out And start now. If you feel stuck because you've made mistakes in the arena of your health and you need to make dramatic life changes for the sake of your future health, make a plan and start now. If you've damaged a relationship, don't wait to address it. Confess. Apologize now. Jesus even says in Matthew 5, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. 
Then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, do what you can do to make it right and do it now. Because Proverbs shows us if you don't do it now, it's very easy to become paralyzed with regret or shame or overthinking or fear and end up bogged down and stuck. When you know what you need to do, do it. Do it now. Take the first step because only in taking that first step will lead you to the next. And this is wisdom we need to hear because it's the exact opposite of what we want to do, right? When we're feeling broken and discouraged, the very last thing we want to do is act, to plan, to go. So knowing that, the author of Proverbs addresses it in verses 9 through 11. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. He's saying the only way forward is through. And the first time I heard anyone lift up this wisdom from Proverbs was about 10 years ago in the Financial Peace University course. And at the time, all the staff were asked to take it. And although to me, number talk sounded incredibly boring, once I started with the course, I quickly realized it wasn't actually about numbers. It was about hope and discipline doing little things now that over time will build toward a better direction. And it was also about trust, trusting that no matter how dark a pit you're in, there is a way forward. It might be a long, hard journey, but one small step at a time, things will move, and you don't have to walk that road alone. Since the author of that course had, through his own mistakes, been bankrupt twice and had to build up again from below scratch, he knew in those circumstances these momentum-producing words from Proverbs were exactly what he had needed, and that's why he was sharing them. If you see no future from where you are, know that's what the Lord wants to show you one step at a time. And if you need to be able to see a possible roadmap, that's when you need the community to help you see it for you. Because truly, there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Whatever problem that you're facing, most likely someone here has already faced it at one time. And they might have some good wisdom for you as well. The truth is, we need each other. And we need the Lord's encouragement and guidance to keep taking one step at a time, moving forward in faith so we can see his work unfold in us. Because if discouragement is the tool most often used by the enemy of our souls to keep us stuck, our biggest obstacle is our inability to see that the little things we do, the little course correction adjustments that we make actually matter. So Proverbs tells us to take our cue from the ant. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. If you're thinking about an, an ant, it's amazing what an ant accomplishes. Just relentlessly doing what needs to be done, one little piece of sand at a time, until amazing things are built. Jesus tells us, that the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed that day after day, in time, grows into a plant big enough to shade everything around it. And Jesus shows us that in his hands, five loaves and two fish offered up by one person in faith can become food for 5,000. 
And Jesus reveals these kinds of things over and over again because he wants us to know that when we entrust to God the little things we can do in faith, we'll see not just the fruit of our work, but the fruit of his work in us and through us as well. But nobody can steer a vehicle that isn't moving. It takes a step of faith for us to start to be able to see where he's directing us. So if you feel stuck, if you want the Lord to steer you, Proverbs says, it's time to take a step in faith. During the initial lockdown of COVID, when nobody really knew what this was we were facing, a lot of people found themselves trapped in a sense of hopelessness. And during this time, my sister sent me a video that was made using some excerpts from a graduation speech to the University of Texas in 2014 by Navy Special Forces Admiral William H. McRaven. And in this speech, he made a startling statement. He said, if you want to change the world, start by making your bed. When the mountain in front of you seems insurmountable, wisdom says, choose to do what you can do. Because in doing the little things, you're reminded things can be done, and that changes you. I'd like to share this video with you. If you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. I've been a Navy SEAL for 36 years. Every morning, my instructors, who at the time were all Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barracks room and the first thing they'd do was inspect my bed. The corners would be square, the covers would be pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough battle-hardened seals. But the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. Our struggles in this world are similar. 
and the lessons to overcome those struggles and to move forward, changing ourselves and changing the world around us will apply equally to all. At times, it will test you to your very core. It will be painful. It will be discouraging. At that darkest moment of the mission is a time when you need to be calm and your inner strength must be brought to bear. If you want to change the world, you must be your very best in the darkest moments. But changing the world can happen anywhere and anyone can do it. If I have learned anything in my time traveling the world, it is the power of hope, the power of one person. One person can change the world by giving people hope. Start each day with a task completed. Find someone to help you through life. Respect everyone. Know that life is not fair and that you will fail often. But if you step up when the times are the toughest, lift up the downtrodden and never ever give up. If you do these things, the next generation and the generations that follow will live in a world far better than the one we have today. And what started here will indeed have changed the world for the better. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? At the darkest moment of the mission is when you need to be calm and your inner strength must be brought to bear. If you want to change the world, you must be your very best in the darkest moments. Wisdom is meant to be practical, but I have to admit, if I were not a Christian, that would sound like a setup for failure. <laughs> because how do we find calm, find strength, to be at our best even in our darkest moments? Well, it comes from knowing deep down to our core that we are not alone. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's where the calm comes from. From knowing our inner strength comes not from us, but from the one who is at work within us. The reason I found this clip so encouraging was because I know the one who is with me in my darkest moments. The inner strength we need is found in our intimacy with God. And we grow in our ability to access that peace through the spiritual discipline of repeatedly turning to him, even in the small things, daily inviting him in, listening for him, looking for where he's at work, so that when we do fall into what's too big for us, we know that it's not too big for him. Because the truth is, he's already done the biggest work for us. You see, Jesus has already willingly co-signed our sin debt, knowing full well that we would all default on it, that we, he would need him to carry it all for us. And through the sacrificial work of his death and resurrection, he has delivered us from having to pay for that debt. He has marked the debt of our sin paid in full. What we give to Jesus truly will be forgiven. But although he's put the fire out and we are saved by his redeeming work alone, there's always still the matter of the mess that our actions leave behind. And if we want our lives to go in a better direction, that doesn't just take confession and forgiveness. It also takes repentance, to repent 
means to turn around, to change direction, to accept course correction. Because Jesus doesn't just want to forgive you. He also wants to walk with you in ways that make your life and the lives around you better. Because the truth is, when we do things that hurt ourselves and others, although these things can be forgiven, they also need to be rebuilt. And that process is often hard. It takes sacrifice and work, and it'll probably be slow to repair the damage of your mistakes, to rebuild trust, even trust in yourself. But it can be done, and it will be done, as you dare to put your trust in the one who meets you right where you are every step of the way. Because no matter where you are, Jesus sees you and knows you and loves you, and he wants to walk with you on the way forward, one step at a time. But we find the wisdom of Jesus will only change the direction of our lives when we trust him enough to do what he says. Most often we feel stuck in life because we keep trying to travel in a direction that's different than the one where the Lord wants to lead us. And our joy, our purpose, our meaning, our fulfillment in life are directly connected to the direction of our focus. So if you're feeling stuck, it might be time to get in motion. And if we're going to dare get up and take a step, what does Scripture show us about where the Lord wants to direct our feet? Well, one of my favorite parables addresses this in Matthew 21. Jesus said, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But he later changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So in the parable, why did the one brother initially say to the father, no, I will not work in the vineyard? He initially refused because he thought he wanted to be doing something else with his time, devoting his life to something else that would be better. But eventually he began to realize this vineyard he was asked to tend wasn't just his father's vineyard. It was his father's life work, life's work for his sake. That this vineyard built by his father was a gift and an invitation to him to be his provision, his legacy, his future. So even though initially he refused this gift and the calling to tend it, in the end he realized the beauty and the value of that gift. And he quietly, humbly took up his pruning shears and began tending the vines. In a similar way, the tax collectors and sinners that Jesus met had been trying to find what they needed in life by turning away from what Father God had called them to as well. They'd been looking for life in places that had only delivered despair. But after hearing Jesus' call specifically to them, the Father's call, come home, they realized they were being offered a different kind of future. And humbling themselves, they turned their focus from theirs to his in taking a step, 
And as disciples of Jesus, their lives made disciples of Jesus because people couldn't help but see the fire of hope lit under their feet was leading them towards something better because they trusted that the best of all someones had already taken a step toward them. And that's how they ended up tending the vineyard of the Father. Because the harvest Jesus is looking to be tended is made up of hearts that need hope. Hearts that have already fallen into mistakes who know that they need his tending. And their growing led to growth in others. Whereas the second son in the parable said, yes, of course I will do what you say. I love the fact that this vineyard is my family legacy. But then he didn't actually do the work of tending the vineyard. <laughs> the people who claimed to already be godly themselves in Jesus' crowd hadn't actually bothered to live out their love for God by tending to the hearts of their neighbor as he tends ours, which turns out is the work that leads to the vineyard's ongoing, growing harvest. They talk the talk, but they didn't walk the walk. And Jesus is saying, who actually did what the Father asks? See, it turns out the way of righteousness, as we live continually putting our trust in the Father, is also a life of tending hearts as he does ours. And as such, it's also a life of ongoing course correction, continual pruning, repenting, confessing, asking for help when we're stuck, and taking the next step, trusting that he will direct our feet one step at a time into what's fr fruitful. Do you see how he's been tending his vineyard through your life? Or are you ready for a new step? Once we realize we've gotten stuck, where do we start? Well, no one can steer a vehicle that's not moving, so it's time to move. Start by confessing where you're stuck to the Lord. I love the confession that we do every week in the traditional service. I know that some people don't love repetition, but it never gets old for me because every week I remember how I haven't loved the Lord with all my heart or loved my neighbor as myself. Every week I'm reminded that I need a holy reset. I need the Lord to forgive me, renew me, lead me, so that I can delight in his will and walk in his ways to the glory of his holy name. I first need the courage that comes from knowing I have been forgiven by him so that I can forgive, so that I can ask for the forgiveness of others, so I can move forward unstuck. I need to know I have a hope and a future, a legacy given to me by his grace before I can work on building or rebuilding what needs tending around me. And because Jesus shares his title, his sonship with us, in receiving that grace and that title, our whole identity, our whole future is changed. We have an inheritance, a legacy, an eternal home. And because you are a child and heir of the Father, this isn't just his vineyard, it's also yours. So as 1 John 3.18 says, let us not just love with words and talk, but true love, which shows itself in action. And maybe that next step comes in leaning into the community, 
Think about opportunities to learn together through groups this fall as you seek to continue to grow. Or ways to grow in the inner strength of greater intimacy with God through daily intentional moments with him. Maybe find a new devotional. Set some time aside for him in a new way. And when you see a heart that needs tending in his vineyard, respond to the Lord's leading and dare take a step. Share your own story of where you find your hope and your strength. And we often grow the most when we help another grow. It turns out that's how the Lord made us. That we were made to point each other toward the one who loves us. See, there is a vineyard, beloved, a kingdom and a home the Father loves. And having adopted you as his child through Jesus' saving work, he wants to share that gift and that calling with you so it can be shared through you. You see, one person has already changed the world by giving it hope. His name is Jesus. And one step at a time, one heart at a time, he will continue to do so in us and through us as we dare trust him with each step. So what step is he leading you to take today? When you see it, do it. Do it now. And see where he leads you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for taking the first step to us. For coming to meet us, Lord, when we're broken, when we're stuck. Lord, thank you that you meet us right here in your grace. But Lord, as you look out over a world that very much needs your healing touch, your hope, and your love, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to tend the vineyard around us, that you would show us, Lord, how you've uniquely created each and every one of us to bless this world, to bless those hearts that need you. Help us, Lord, to take one small step today in growing in love, in love toward you and toward each other. Lord, help us to see how you're calling us to take a step in tending your vineyard so that the world may know your love. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.